0: Hi, you're listening to the TL Podcast. My name is Thomas Lehoyne, and I am interviewing someone who seems ordinary, but who is achieving extraordinary things. That is the quest of this interview. Hi, Philip, how are you doing? Yeah,
1: good. Yourself?
0: Great, that's the way. Sorry for being late, I was just on the phone. <laughs>
1: that's okay. Uh, look, I think it's a sign of the times. I think, um, you know, there's a lot happening out there in the industry as well. And I think probably on the PM side, and we have a property management, uh, obviously, database as well. So we've got about 1500 properties, and there's always issues regardless. So,
0: right, right, right. So, let's start from the beginning. Let's start from Philip, where and where did you start in real estate? Obviously, I heard earlier 21. Is it? Is that when you start in real estate?
1: Yeah, so I grew up on a small farm, you know, in rural Victoria. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. We were just very, just very normal everyday people. Dad grew up. Dad came from Portugal. Wow! His, wow! Um, so he came to Australia in the 1970s, and um, obviously met my mother, and we grew up on a 25 acres in rural Victoria. Um, I always was very interested in property. I loved, to, I was either going to become a valuer or some sort of a property advisor or some property related um, type role. Dad would go and subdivide farm lots in and around rural Victoria. And I said, and dad was very, very good at doing that. And I got the bug at a very early age. And okay, I, okay. I love reading and, and building my knowledge base up as much as I possibly can. And, um, And then when I was straight out of university, my mother passed away when I was probably 18. Um, And, you know, from that, I probably went to university for a year and then travelled, you know, went back to Portugal, um, went and explored the world and then came back and said, yep, property is what I want to do. And then I researched all the really good property advisors or people that I thought were good operators. And I came across um, a mentor of mine by the name of Jock Bing. Um, And Jock was... Basically, one of the first operators in the country. He was he came from a stockbroking background, and he applied the same methodology like a, a stock portfolio, and and he, he started working for Ord back in Sydney, back in Paddington, up in Sydney, back in the '60s. Right. Um, and he would on the side go and buy these un, unrenovated little terraces in Paddington and. Oh, Enmore, Newtown, when they were considered slums and no one to, to buy in those areas all those years back. Um, so I, I worked with Jock for about 10 years. Um, he was a fantastic mentor and a fantastic teacher uh, for me personally. So I thank him for that. Jock's now well, 78. <laughs> um, he still runs his own business, very successful. Um, but I think seven years ago, we decided, we decided to start this business with another two valuers uh, and uh, some data research guys as well that we've built into our back end.
0: Okay, so what is your business?
1: Uh, so we run, uh, so our, our business is called Performance Property Advisory. Okay. Um, so we've got four business units. Um, so basically with us, you know, we're, we're a fully research driven um, property advisory company. So we, we dedicate our time to kind of helping time poor professionals building established residential, commercial, and industrial property portfolios. So five, 10, $15 million portfolios. Um, So that's our performance property business. Then we've got performance data, which runs our internal research business. FIREX does the home buying, because investment and home buying completely different. Um, And then we have a property management um, arm of the business called Pathway Asset Management. So it's all end to end. Um, We've got about uh, 47 staff across the country. In five main cap cities, Um, we've obviously been involved in a number of large commercial and industrial transactions across across the country, and we just help our clients build really good quality portfolios. Okay,
0: so but do you are you coming from a um, financial background, like um, accounting background, or are you? it doesn't sound to me very much real estate. Then real estate is almost a uh, a byproduct, uh, but really your first thing is financial is it like if you're going to be yeah. building the assets
1: well i think yeah, you know, we, we we can't advise on equities we just use property as the overall product underlying product to build that portfolio for the client so when we started the business seven years ago we wanted to build the best research data house in the country for residential and commercial research because we looked at all the other buyers agents out there and we said well look they're great property finders but what are they utilizing that research and data to make those investment decisions? So we said, I'm very biased towards Melbourne and Sydney. I've always had that in my blood and I have to get that out of my system. So we built the research platform to have an unbiased view on the residential markets all across Australia. Um, So we buy in the top 30 population centers around the country. Um, And then through that, we make those investment decisions and we have a counter cyclical uh, focus on those investments. we had a great run in Sydney in 2008 to 2013. You know, everyone in the finance sector was getting out; they were selling their Paddington terraces. And then, little old Phil, that was, you know, back then I was, you know, quite young. We'd right. uh, we'd gone buy these little million-dollar terraces that dropped by 200 grand in the space of a of a year.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and you know, Newtown, Glebe, Camperdown—all fantastic suburbs to buy in. Um, so we buy the. Double story terraces or single fronted terraces, and then we would renovate them, hold them, uh, and obviously the yields back then were four and a half to five percent. Um, now they're probably only three, maybe two and a half to three percent right now.
0: Okay, so I'm trying to understand here now. You you're more an entrepreneurial than just a real estate agent. So uh, you were you were approaching time poor professionals. Correct. Right? So you had a branch that was prospecting these guys, or are you prospecting through accountants?
1: Yeah, probably most of our business. So we built our client portal through our, um, our the medical space. Um, so we have, you know, in excess of 1,500 doctors that we advise on their portfolios. Um, we have a lot of farming, you know, farming clients as well. And, you know, we help, our, you know, we're very passionate about that space and making sure that our farmers are getting good quality off-farm investments across Australia. Yeah. And then through that, we, we, we got into the banking sector. Uh, we started looking after a lot of the, the lawyers across Australia We we developed this, almost this time-poor professional client base
0: Wow!
1: that had capacity to pay us a fee to go and do this. So it was fee for service in terms of our approach. And, and then we, we risk weight their portfolio. So then we'll, we'll grade their existing assets as a triple A, triple B, triple C. We'll advise them to sell down. So that's when we get the real estate agent to go and help us sell down an asset if it's questionable or we don't think it's going to perform. And then we want to make sure every asset they've got in their portfolio is quality.
0: Wow. Okay, Okay. now now, now, um, now I'm dumbfounded. So you guys are a bit of a genius because you sat there and you're going, hold on, there's guys who are time poor, but they all want wealth. They all want to create... And so what, you, you sat there and you decided we're gonna help these guys, and this is how we started, I mean, this
1: yeah. is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So we, we kind of, we knew our end target market in terms of our client profile, but before we went out and targeted those clients, we need to make sure that we had a really in-depth research platform to be able to go out to them and make sure that we are providing them the right advice when we were telling them where to buy, when to exit an asset, when to get into a market. So we built our research platform before we ended up Targeting the clients first. Yeah, so
0: because a research platform gives you credibility, it gives Correct. you that,
1: right. It gives you almost
0: that equivalent of I'm not an accountant, I'm not a, a financial advisor, but here's all the information that both of these two guys would rely upon to make decisions, right?
1: Correct. So we wanted to kind of build a business that perhaps we could disrupt ourselves long term, and, and we wanted to try and create a research platform to go out to the consumer. And if they wanted to perhaps maybe make an informed decision around when to invest or when to buy my home, it was basically laid out. Um, we haven't dis- disrupted ourselves yet, um, but maybe one day, that's maybe something we may consider.
0: Wow. Okay. You, you got the first one. So let, let's imagine. So you got, you got someone like me. What, what, what do you do?
1: So we, we get you to come into the office and fill out a, a fact finder around your position. we don't obviously find out who your accountant, your fin planner, your lawyers. So we get an overarching team around you to make sure that you're getting the right advice in every sector, because we're not all unified um, in the overall strategy, then uh, it can go by the wayside. Absolutely, the
0: account, absolutely.
1: Because the accountant may not get along with you, and so we all have to be unified. Um, once we get that done, we look at your income to debt ratio so if you're, if you've come to me and say, Phil, I want to build a $5 million portfolio, but you're racing cars and spending money on, um, you know, your, your kind of excess cash flow, your, you know, you're your spending above what you can afford to pay, we'll, yes. we'll be very firm in our approach. <laughs> um, and sometimes we do have, you know, a number of interesting conversations with our doctors. They're on a million, one and a half million dollars a year but I see $2 million going out the door if I look at their overall running costs. So I tell them not to take on too much debt on the home. You know, we will build that asset up, but we we try and build their investment portfolios first. So we define the strategy. We then say, right, this is where we need to get you to. And then we start buying investments to get them to that point. Um, And once they reach that point, then we then risk weight their portfolio every year. And then I tell them, okay, this is what you should be doing next. So acting as their, almost portfolio advisor, but just with their property holdings.
0: Okay. Not, not stock market, right? Just property. No,
1: no, no, no. We have, we have stockbrokers, um, that we refer out to. Yeah. So I don't think every client should have, you know, just all these particular assets tied up in property. There needs to be a balance. Yeah. We can't advise in that space. So we we let the experts in other areas run that.
0: I get that. So, from that point, you go out and buy a property for them or do you Correct. give them a, a range of four or five properties and then make a decision?
1: No, 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 we, um, so every client's different because you know not every client is wanting to build a three or $4 million portfolio. Some may be rent investors, some may be wanting to reduce the debt on their home. So every client is different. And I, I don't think you should have the exact same strategy for for that one client because you need to make sure that you listen in terms of what they're after um, our goal is to make sure if they're being too aggressive is to ease them back or if they're conservative. So we're we're very balanced overall view of their asset base. So um, we think we need to get an understanding of their overall position. They may be retiring in 10 years. So we need to make sure that we're very genuine. We listen to what they initially want and then we try and manage that. Oh, as wow. a
0: and then, so you are then in contact with
1: real estate agents? Correct. And that's where we come across firms such as yourself, which are, you know, really well-run firms across Australia. Um, And I think it's, there's no us versus them mentality. I think we're all in this together and we need to collaborate. Um, You know, there's, there's bad buyer agents out there. There's bad real estate agents out there as, as well. You need to, you know, formalize a great team around you in terms of who the really good operators are. Um, And then ideally, you know, support each other, make sure, our goal is to run evaluation on that asset, assess its value. If it fits within our model and we model it out every asset um, because we have a buy, hold, sell recommendation on every suburb in Australia. Um, so then we look at not just three comparables. We look at eight comparables um, assets. So, And if it reads that particular yield requirement, then we'll go and negotiate it on behalf of the client. And then I'll prepare an investment report and then tell the client whether I think this asset fits within their overall strategy, um, and then yeah, we've worked with a number of Sydney agents over the years, and they've all been great to deal with. And oh yeah, but,
0: well, they, they would want to have you as their best friend, for sure.
1: Yeah, no, really, <laughs> all the all the Newtown agents, and uh, you know, they're all very a lot of characters that we've come across over the years. Um, very different, in, but look, we've really enjoyed working with them, and um, and so we don't have anything against agents. I think. This us versus them mentality is completely wrong. I think we're all in this together, and we need to. Absolutely.
0: The, can, can I just ask you? A, a normal real estate agent looks at a property in terms of uh, vacancy factor, because for some of your portfolio, you don't, you don't have that cash flow. For some of them, it's going to be depreciation. Uh, for some of them, it's going to be the uh, the capital gain. Uh, and maybe for some of them, it's also the whether it's positively key or how, how key it is.
1: Correct. Is yeah. there
0: anything else that you guys look at when you?
1: Yeah. Um, so first, first part of it is the research actually selecting the asset. The, yeah. first, the second part of it, if they're a young doctor coming through, we'll look at growth focused assets. Um, if it's a, you know, older doctor, we'll look at a commercial property that will provide that income for them. So it's a little bit more balanced. Um, because if we buy three terraces in Enmore, the yield on those are probably going to be around two and a half or 3%. So mm-hmm. that's quite low. So we need to look at other assets that are going to generate a higher yield component to blend across the overall portfolio. So we're not just growth focused. I think it needs to be a very balanced view. Um, and that's why the client, you need to understand the client where that client wants to get to um, and select the assets that are suited towards their requirements. Um, we don't, we don't generally buy any off the plan or newly developed product. Um, there is depreciation, is low maintenance, but we find that, you know, we like established. We like paying a little bit more for the land. You know, actually having control of the asset. Um, there's nothing wrong with newly developed product. but it's just not the strategy for us for our client
0: base. So, so if there's nothing wrong, why is it not the strategy? What is uh, what is well, negative that you don't want to tell me, Philip?
1: Uh, well, uh, look, I think if we're if we're charging the client a fee to go and visit, yeah. Um, you know, the developer will work on a margin of 15 to 25% from day one. So you're banking on that asset to grow by 15 to 25% by the time it's being constructed. Um, I, I've always had a strong preference for land. Um, there's no right or wrong, but I, if I was advising you as a client, I'd be yeah. telling you to buy a good quality house. We're, we're buying a lot of blocks of units in yeah. Randwick and Enmore and um, Paddington. We had a great run, you know, we're picking them back up in, you know, 15 years ago for one and a half mil, you know, for a block of eight, you know, and they're now worth four to four to six mil, you know, the, the Bondi blocks and they've performed extraordinarily well. So there's a lot of families tying up their wealth within a, a unit block for five or six mil because they know the incomes will increase over time with those really good quality um, older units. Um, but from our end, look, you can make money out of off the plan assets, but it's just not the right model for us.
0: Okay. All right. So how much would you charge me then as a buy agent?
1: Um, so we have a, a, like a, a fixed fee. We have a minimum fee of fourteen grand if it's under five, 500000 or we charge kind of two and a half, two to two and a half percent generally is what we charge the client. Normally like an agent and then our portfolio review service where we risk weight their portfolio is about $250 a property.
0: And then what? There are other fees, such as maybe the entire review of the, the portfolio would that be yeah, on just, a yearly basis?
1: Yeah, our our goal is to build the portfolio out. Um, yeah. So yearly we only charge them two hundred and fifty dollars per property in the
0: portfolio. Oh,
1: Okay. Uh, and then that's basically, you know, then we then give them our recommendations and their risk weighting, and then we'll go to their accountant or their fin planner and we'll let them know, okay, this is what they should or shouldn't be doing, because a lot of fin planners out there can't advise on property. You know, they can advise on equities, and, but there's no one out there actually giving quality advice on the client's property holdings. Banks will lend you money on the income that you generate, but let's take it back a step. Let's actually look at the asset that they're buying. You know I'd be prepared to lend more if the asset quality was greater or a good quality investment. Yep. Um, but they, don't, they look at it the other way around, which I've always questioned.
0: Okay. So is that where you then grow your... Property management department yourself because all of these clients are buying straight away. You're pushing them to your no property. Is it a pathway? PM? Pathway asset
1: management. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so so yeah. So we've got quite a large portfolio in the markets that we're buying, um, and then once we set up a portfolio of three or four hundred rental properties in that area, I think the property management you know area it is very much relationship focused, and you've got to be careful that you do look after your landlords. Um, there's a lot of disruptors out there, you know, that are offering lower fees. But are you going to get the same level of service? Yes. And we've been very big on making sure that the client is well looked after, because these are one, two, three million dollar assets. Um, and I think if you you're cutting corners in terms of making sure that property is not managed effectively, um, I think there's going to be a lot of disruption coming out in that space over so the next two or three years. Right. There's going to be a lot of bigger operators. They're going to amalgamate and join forces. Yeah. Um, so look, it is a it is a con- it's concerning for us obviously because the fees that we charge are slightly higher. Um, and are we able to match it with say a lower management fee? And are they going to get the same level of service? But the research has really tied our clients together, and the advice that we're giving annually, um, our clients are happy to pay the right sort of fees because they're getting that level of service. Yeah.
0: So for the moment, do you then have a property management team here, or do you sure. allocate it to a real estate agent?
1: No, no. no. So we have a, we have our own kind of um, property management arm of the business. Okay. Uh, in some of the regional areas that we, um, you know, we can't build that. for, We have an alliance with a, a local real estate agent in those areas. You know, depending mm. on where it is.
0: Okay. So let's go then further here. How much you charge, by the way, with your property management?
1: Uh, 6% plus GST.
0: Okay. Do you then advise when, let's say, that property in Enmore that used to have a yield over 5% that's now going down to 2 point whatever it is, do you then advise your client to sell
1: now? Uh, yeah, so we'll put some cash flow management in there and we'll say, look, if it needs renovation and we can get an extra $40 a week on that, once the property value increases by 20%, we will then run, we've got an internal renovation team that will do the improvement. So those two masonettes that we purchased off you all those years ago, um, we undertook a a $250,000 renovation to put in kitchens, bathrooms, open up the back floor plates. Um, So if we can see an opportunity to increase the rents, we will. If we think that market isn't going to perform or stabilise for a five or seven year period, we'll tell that client to sell down. Um, We very much accumulate our portfolios, but there comes a time when the client eventually needs to sell down, pay down the debt on their principal place of residence, um, and then we go again. So it depends exactly where they are in that cycle of their life.
0: So at that point in time, you become a real estate agent?
1: No, no, we call you. And then I say, say, look, we need... We need $2 million for this million dollar terrace that we purchased 10 years ago. Um, And then we ask you to, and then we run a sales advisory service. So we'll engage you as the agent to help us sell that asset. Um, And that's where we collaborate. So we buy and sell off agents and they're they're very important to our business.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so uh, this is a lot to digest. So you call people who are time poor, you advise them and you don't have in-house accountants so you have to try and be with them otherwise i mean sometimes you find that accountants like work against you and say no don't believe them
1: yeah well we have you know we've got an affiliation with a number of accounting groups across australia so we know who they're really great and accountants are really pivotal and they're very important in this whole process Um, so we're not aligned to one accounting firm you know we're very independent um, so we're happy to work with the accountant but you know, if, if they're working against us in the overall strategy, and, and everyone has a different view of the market, different strategies, um, I think you've got to have that alignment and that good team around the client so they're protected long-term, um, and you've all got the same outcome in terms of where you want to get to.
0: Right, okay. So once you've got that team, you now go out and you invest for them, you then push it to pathway asset management? And then, if there are opportunity to resell, then you make you make the suggestion. Yep. And then you put the money somewhere else. For the moment, you're only working with two markets, which is Melbourne and Sydney.
1: No, no, all markets. So we okay. we, we, we buy in Adelaide, Perth, Brisbane, um, in the regionals. So the top thirty population centres that we only buy in. Um, so we've got offices all across Australia.
0: Do they choose? Do they choose where they want to buy it or not?
1: No, we, we kind of. Ultimately, with our research that we've built, we tell them where to invest. When it comes to our home buying, um, we have, you know, so we had a view with our home buying um, called BuyerX to basically try and poach some really good real estate agents out there. You know, so we've got, um, you know, some really good operators on the ground in Sydney that run the inner west home buying for us. Um, Paddington, eastern suburbs, northern beaches. Um, But they operate purely just for home buying. So when a client wants to go and buy their home, I'll then send them through through our advocates on the grounds, and then they'll go and purely, because they've they've had 15, 20 years of experience in that area. So they know every street, every area like the back of their hand. So if we can get our clients to buy their homes well, then that sets them up on the home buying front.
0: Now, this is amazing, Philip. This is amazing. Um, I can't believe this. So... Let's go through now. You won the award with the REB, right? You won the award of being the buy agent. What does that mean? What, what did they give it to you for? Because you, you're not even buying.
1: Yeah. I, no, well, we do. Like, so, so our team, I've got a personal team that does you know, in excess of 100 transactions a year just with our my private team. Um, it was just, look, I, I never really apply for awards. It was just a, a good metric to see, well, where are we at in relation to our competitors and you know, how are we going? I'm always interested to see what our competitors are doing out there in the industry. Um, we're a little bit different to a number of other buyers, agents on the ground. I think we're, um, you know, we, uh, we operate a very, very different model um, that, you know, my mentor was lucky enough to teach me a lot of that and I, I built that, that data and that tech back into this business. Um, but the research is probably fundamental. It's the core to our entire business. Without that, you know, we'd just be a normal other buyer agent telling you to go and buy, you know, in the one market. Yeah, yeah I get uh, that. So, yeah, it's nothing against them, but I think we've just developed their own model.
0: Can, can I just ask you, I mean, it's great to have a mentor and probably like mentors would want you to share this one one of these days. So what are two or three criterias that your mentor has told you when it comes to what to buy, where to buy, and how to calculate? He must have given you two or three things to think of.
1: Yeah, So he would always, he'd always tell me, he said, Phil, don't be afraid to look at areas that um, no one else is looking at. So, you know, uh, for example, Newtown 20 years ago, no one was buying in Newtown because they considered quite a slum. So being able to foresee where the universities, where the hospitals were positioned long-term and the underlying factors of what's going to generate that price growth um, following where the, you know, the artists or the, the left of center type, uh, that would eventually rent out those particular properties. So we would follow them over the years in both Melbourne and Sydney, Um, get an understanding of um, where immigrants, when they first moved to Australia, they would dominate particular areas around Australia as well. And those areas, you know, say a full 15 to 20 years later, do gentrify as well and change. Um, But those markets represent good value. And make sure whatever you're buying, 70 or 80%, of that value is always absorbed in the land. So regardless of market old concern, house,
0: old house, then
1: old house, he would just tell me to buy jock always taught me to buy jock had a lot of slum, you know, he was almost considered a slum landlord or a slum home buyer because all these properties, you know, no one wanted to buy these properties because it was the ugliest, ugliest house in the street. It needed work. Um, over time, I, I think I've balanced that out. I haven't purchased too many properties that, have created a nightmare um, yeah. for us. So we've, we've, we've been a little bit more balanced in our approach. Um, but by doing a cosmetic refurb, looking at assets that you can always add some value to was the trick. Um, and, you know, if you're, you're relying on normal market conditions, you're accelerating that by doing some improvement, say in year five or year seven as you're holding that asset. So making sure that you can always do something to it.
0: Mm-mm. With COVID happening right now, uh, what is your prediction in regards to those people who have a portfolio that is highly geared towards commercial building?
1: Yeah, I'd be, uh, look, I, I, there is some concern around, look, residential, I have, you know, my concern for residential for A-grade stock in both Melbourne and Sydney, um, I think we'll probably ride this through quite, quite well. I think if you own commercial property, um, and a lot of our clients do, Um, There is some concern around making sure that that commercial asset has a number of uses associated with it. So, you know, with a lot of the Melbourne and Sydney office buildings at the moment, do they have potential to perhaps maybe do some residential development or change the mix up? You know, so there's going to be a lot of changes in this commercial space as a result of technology, improving people working from home. There's going to be a, a lot of design differences in your floor plates. So people wanting to, Create their home offices, lifestyle purchases in rural New South Wales, this is all going to change. It'll change the makeup of the commercial market. So we're personally as an investment group, we're sitting on our hands and waiting um, for this to kind of transition out in both Melbourne and Sydney. Yes. Um, I think if you've got a commercial asset that you can turn into perhaps a residential development, I think you're doing really well. I think you should be holding it. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to buy good quality commercial if you're a a longer term investor, and you've got the ability to write this through because I think it's probably going to be a really good opportunity to, to actually start securing assets. So as a business, we're going to create a fund um, for our clients to invest in of uh, 50 to 100 mil, and they, be able, they may be able to get some exposure in these really good distressed commercial opportunities on the ground. Um, so yeah, a lot of the commercial office buildings will need to be contactless. So you'll have to walk in You can't touch the door, can't touch the lift. It's all going to be, um, so we need to prefabricate materials in Australia. We can't get it offshore. So there's a number of groups coming with um, the ability to manufacture new materials here in Australia rather than relying on it coming from China or offshore as well. So we need to be savvy around how we look at these commercial buildings taking a longer term view as well. Um, so looking at the asset and looking at what we can do to that asset over the long term is going to be really important. And I think if you can convert them to residential or mixed use, that's the play.
0: So oh, so what, what's, what do you reckon about those street frontage, um, commercial building right in the city of Sydney, for example?
1: Yeah. So the retail shops, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can see a lot of we work type arrangements where there's going to be a lot of office space being shared by a number of tenants. Um, So the lease will be shared by multiple tenants rather than just the one tenant. Um, We're seeing a lot of that activity occurring in Sydney and Melbourne at the moment where there's a lot of subleasing of the floor plates, other businesses aligning their businesses, you know, joining together, joining forces around how they reduce their overheads. Um, Landlords at the moment, you know, there's probably been anywhere between 40 and 60% rental reductions on those rents as well. Um, we're probably seeing more value in the industrial sectors rather than the commercial sectors right now. But if you're a commercial landlord and you own a retail shop in Sydney, you've got to be very creative in terms of how you think about that asset and what sort of tenant you, you've got the ability to get into that property long term. So having some foresight and thinking it through, maybe developing the back half into residential, looking at the zoning as well. You know, going to council and arguing the fact, how do we get more income? how do we generate more income out of the building yeah. um, and being a little bit more savvy. So I think a lot of businesses will start aligning themselves because people will start working at home. We can do it, um, but the old shop front, you know, maybe we need just need to be a bit more creative.
0: How old are you? Because it's not possible that uh, you're that wise.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I, as I said, I, you know, I, I kind of, will, I, I'm 37 years of age. That's um, not possible. I you know, I just... <laughs> I think it's very important that you do listen, you know, to people that do have that knowledge and I think you need to respect your elders in terms of, there's a lot of, you know, new people coming out, you know, telling them they can overpromise in terms of what they can deliver. But, yeah, you know, I, I've been very, you know, I concentrate on all the old timers and I, I try and suck as much knowledge as I can out of them. And then I, I utilize that in the real world if I can.
0: Okay. What's, so Jock, who's 78, he's still mentoring
1: you now? Uh, no, he still runs his own business. Um, he's obviously, you know, sold down some of his businesses over years, but you know, he stopped, he he runs a a business by the name of portfolio management services. Um, he's one of the hardest workers I've ever known. Um, you know, so I have a, a, to this day, a lot of respect and I'm very thankful for everything that he taught me to this day.
0: Okay. So do you mentor other people now?
1: Yes, I do. So we, um, so we get, um, our hiring policies is taking on economic or commerce students. Um, from the local universities here in Melbourne and Sydney.
0: Mm, um, we do we're probably going to get calls, you know that.
1: Yeah, we have a lot of graduates that come in and do six month, we have an agreement with RMIT where they can do part of their course and electives as a six month internship with us. So I think education um, for me personally is a really, really important part of the process. Um, and if you can build that education and, Even if they don't have a degree, I've never judged anyone on their, you know, educational background. Um, If they've got the right attitude and you can train, you can train them easily. Um, And, you know, a lot of these Gen Ys and Gen Xs, you know, they want everything now. But I think you have to be, you know, I think you do have to put the hard yards in and, and that doesn't come in a year. You need to learn and cultivate and educate yourself. Um, so I think with these people, we take on two graduates a year in the business, we train them up, and that's been our hiring policy since day one. Yeah. Um,
0: you, you just spoke about it, so I'm going to ask you, I mean, with these Jane Y now, who's only responsible maybe for uh, how much they're uh, spending when they're going out, and they, there's no saving almost in most of them, how are you guys going to sort them out?
1: Yeah, we try and teach them, you know, as they come in early days. They're not all, they're not all under like I'm being very general in, but they're not all bad. I think we if we can teach them how to save a deposit, number one, and you know, all of our advisors within our team, we actually we can't get them to advise one of our clients until they own one investment property themselves. So, oh, wow. so part of our modeling is we make sure that they're taught in terms of they, I, I want them living and breathing in terms of what it feels like to hold an investment, what it feels like to have a tenant moving out and you know, if, a, if there's some damage or they have to do some maintenance, I want them to get into a savings program at a very, very early age. Yes. So it's a hundred or $200 a week that they need to service a 350 or $400,000 property. If they're on a $70,000 income, don't go to the pub on a Sunday, go to the pub on a Saturday, and then I want you saving that extra hundred or two hundred dollars. I want you into an automated savings plan to start building a portfolio for yourself. Because if they're not doing it and they're not living and breathing themselves, then I don't believe that they should be advising one of one of our clients. I like that. I like that. So, okay.
0: So, where's the next uh, gold mine in Australia?
1: Uh, well, if you come on as a client, we'll let you know. Uh, but look, we're. <laughs> No, look, I think, um, look, just being up front, look, there's some really good value in some of the regional areas in Victoria. Um, we see that probably there's pockets around the Perth market that has probably underperformed for a long period of time, but in certain suburbs, um, you know, for Melbourne and Sydney, we're probably holding off. We think it's a great time to be upgrading your home because we feel that there's going to be a lot of people tying up their wealth in their homes and, and going through this COVID period, they know that they're... Rather than live in a a one bedroom unit, they're going to go for a larger home and and spend a little bit more because that's where they're going to be spending a lot of their time. Um, so right now we look we like Brisbane, we like Adelaide, we like Perth, and we like some of the regional areas around Victoria overall. So
0: people who are listening to this, let's imagine that they say, you know, what? How do I access? I mean, do I? Where do I pay to get the data that you guys got? Because your data is probably for sale too, will not it? Uh,
1: yeah, we, we sell we sell our data on individual reports. So if they want a... Um, so we've got uh, basically a 40-page research report on um, the top 30 population centres around the country. Um, so, look, we charge kind of $250, $300 for those reports. Um, we utilise most of that data to supply our private clients. Um, yes, we understand, yeah, understand. But we, you know, we, we can sell it individually if the client wants an update. I'll send you through our Sydney research today that you can have a read-through.
0: Uh, thank you so much for this. So, Philip, what do you do on your spare time? Because it doesn't look like you've got too much spare time.
1: Uh, well, uh, I think I've I've got a very accommodating wife, and without her, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, so she is the she is my backbone. Um, yes. I've got two two beautiful girls, four and two. Right. Um, and yeah, do a lot of do a lot of running as well. Um, and look, just try and keep healthy and keep it keep it balanced if you can. But yeah, work, work is obviously taking off a lot of my time because we're we're doing a lot of things. Yes, the- there's a
0: lot of thinking happening.
1: Yeah, so it's being creative and having that foresight to see where things are going long-term and, and how the market's going to react as a result of COVID um, and just trying to be ahead before everyone else is in those markets. And
0: have you got data about what's happening with COVID and impact of yeah.
1: COVID? Yeah. So if I um, yeah. So if we look at you know the Australian GDP debt at the moment, running at you know just over two trillion. Um, the governments are coming out on a very aggressive stimulus package at the moment. So Josh Friedenberg made some comments right now um, that the federal and state governments are going to provide sufficient relief throughout this crisis, and they're going to prioritize. And this is really important that the market understand this. They're prioritising growing our GPD um, and getting our full-time employment, you know, because I'm expecting full-time employment to go, the unemployment rate to go from probably 10 to 12%. Um, so the government needs to stimulate the economy. They want to get that unemployment rate down to, say, 6 or 7%, and that may take two or three years to happen. Um, but it's a good thing that the government actually, Frydenberg's actually out there um, saying that he doesn't want to increase taxes immediately. Um, He doesn't want to do that when JobKeeper ends. So I think at the moment, you know, the government's going on a very aggressive stimulation plan plan to stimulate the economy. Um, Some other markets will perform better than others. But if it's residential housing stock, I think it's a very safe asset to hold and retain. So, I don't think that there will be markets in the A grade areas that we're buying in that will have that 20 or 30% drop off. You know, it may happen um, in some of the outer lying areas, but overall, you know, I'm reasonably confident that these markets are going to hold up. We saw, you know, with the last election, we saw there was a lull in the market and then the markets went on a bit of a run. Um, we saw obviously, you know, during the, the GFC, we saw what happened to Sydney, it dropped by say five to 15% at one stage, but then i it went on the greatest run that we've probably seen in uh, 15 years since the since the Olympics. Um, so I think you, you've really got to look ahead in terms of where that market will get to long-term and just have a very balanced view.
0: Yeah. Well, to me, the unemployment may be what they're looking at, but what about the banks? Because the banks have got the moratorium for the moment, but it's going to be lifted at some stage.
1: Yeah. Well, we think – so. so the thing about – We're in a serious undersupply at the moment uh, of, you know, you look at land value rates and land sales happening on the outer areas of um, Sydney at the moment. They're at their lowest, lowest point. They have been for a number of years. We haven't seen the undersupply get to this issue. Developers have been finding it very hard to get funding as well. The banks are going to play ball this time, you know, because we went through a Royal commission. So a lot of people that have debt right now, have actually been through a very rigorous um, credit process to get that funding. Um, So I think a lot of the areas, you know, this is not including that a vaccine will come out. And when it does, I think there's going to be a lot of renewed confidence out there in the market and that you're not taking into consideration that overseas migration is going to open up in 12 or 24 months. So when we see those, you know, the vaccine coming out, banks playing ball, the RBA have got an inflation target rate of 2 or 3%. I think we've probably had one of the best organised governments that I've probably seen for a while. They're probably a lot more unified. Um, no one can come into Victoria. They've closed the borders on, on us at the moment. But um, we're seeing that there's a lot of efficiency gains coming from technology and infrastructure. So I'm reasonably bullish around the market. I think we will see taxes increase eventually. Um, but I don't see that happening, say, for the first kind of 24 months until we ride this, ride this through.
0: Listen, before we just close off, because I, I, I think my head's about to explode, uh, is, is there anything else that you could advise that I have not asked you in this
1: podcast? Um, well, I, th- I think ideally, I think it's, it's really important that we have gone through these pandemics and recessions in, in the past. We had one in 73, 82. We had the Spanish flu. We had the stock market crash, the GFC. This is all relative. These markets do change every 15 to 20 years. So my advice is if you've got a really good cash buffer, and I always tell my clients to have a 12 month cash buffer there sitting there. If they do lose their jobs, they can write it out. I think that's the most important factor of this. So make sure you've got your, your cash flow position managed really well. Okay.
0: Well, Philip, I now can see why you won that award. Maynard, thank you so much for sharing with uh, estate agents around. And um I, I hope we'll get you on again for some different questions.
1: Yeah, anytime. It was really nice to chat. Take Thank care. Thank you so right. much, Philip. All right. All Look the best. You
0: Take Bye. care.